invite you to uh, come with me as we read. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, speak on. And Paul stood up, he motioned with his hand, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And after he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. And after John had preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold... There comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he raised up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He, he was spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So beware, therefore, lest what has come been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. Behold, you despisers marvel and perish, for I will work a work in your days, a work you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. 
So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. And Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women and of the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would give unto us eyes to see and heart, hearts willing to receive, ears that will hear the things that the Spirit is speaking to your church. God, we pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place as we seek to honor you, Lord Jesus, we lay this time before you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the scriptures this morning, we see some interesting things happen in verse 13. The leadership of the missionary journey switches. Before it was Barnabas and John Mark and Saul. Now Saul called Paul last week as he began to share... This week we see leadership changing. Now it's Paul's trip. It's Paul and those who journeyed with him. And they go to Perga. When they come to Perga, Perga is a place very swamp-like. And most probably when Paul got to Perga, he contracted malaria, which would be a problem. You see, Paul never preached in Perga. And it's, un- it's really interesting why he didn't preach there, because it's a big city. Usually, Paul would go into the synagogue of the city, begin to preach to the Jews, as we just read. And when the Jews rejected, he would deliver the message to the Gentiles. But he didn't do it in Perga. In Perga, a couple of things happened. Something happened to Paul, and something happened to John Mark. John Mark began to look at the journey. There they were in Perga. Probably, uh, Paul is sick having a hard time moving around, and they have laid out before them the Taurus Mountains. The Taurus Mountain Range is between Perga and Antioch of Pisidia. they got to climb from zero to 3,600 feet. Now in those days, they didn't get in a car and just drive there. They had to go up over the mountains. The mountain pass was wrought with floods, robbers, all kinds of problems. In fact, Paul would talk about some of those in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he would say he was in peril of robbers, in peril in the sea, in peril 
constantly in the mission trip. So I think as John Mark looked at the journey, and he saw the difficulty of the journey, and then he looks at the leader, and he says, man, he's sick already. He cut and went home. He quit. I find it interesting as we, as we look at the Great Commission that was given to every one of us, right? Go into all the world. Go into all the world, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. It's something that he spoke to each and every one of the disciples, men and women who choose to follow him. Yet the reality is less than 1% go. Now, we're not all called to go to Romania. We're not all called to go to Scotland. We're not all called to go to Vietnam. We're not all called to go to Malawi. We are all called to go, to share, to, to bring the truth of the Word of God to the ears that need to hear it. But less than 1% of the body is doing that. And when we look, it reminds me, I'm reminded as I see John Mark here, you know, looking at the cost and the price of what it's going to be and, and seeing the difficulty of the journey. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what the issue was. It just says he quit. In a couple of chapters, Paul and Barnabas are going to have such a fight over John Mark that they're going to split up. It's a big deal. It's a big issue. What do we see in this beginning, the second leg of the first missionary journey? Discouragement has come. You ever face discouragement when you're trying to do what you think God wants you to do? You ever been discouraged? Listen, it's always easier to quit than it is to push on. Always. It's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to give up. We want to move on. Paul, probably sick with malaria. We definitely know he's sick with something. We, we should read about it in Galatians chapter 4. Look there, Galatians 4, 13. This is what Paul said. Now, the, the letter to Galatians is written to the churches he starts on his first missionary journey as he goes through the region of Galatia. One of those will be Antioch and Pisidia. He says, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He says, the whole reason I came to you in the first place was because I was sick. It just so happens that Perga, whenever somebody got malaria, would tell the people to go to Antioch of Pisidia because it was higher and a drier climate. And they would have a better chance of overcoming the disease. So something's going on with Paul. John Mark is... It gets a little bit freaked out and he quits. And he goes home. And Paul and Barnabas go on. They go over to Taurus Mountains, through where all the banditos are, through all the flood plains and the, and the places where floods could happen. They, it, they couldn't have been in the winter because if it had been in the winter, the, the pass would have been closed with snow. So they find themselves weaving their way up to Antioch of Pisidia. And when they get there, Paul does what he always does. He goes to the synagogue. Why do you go to synagogue? That's where all the Jews gather. And Paul will always take the gospel to the Jew first. And when the Jew rejects it, he's going to take it to the Gentiles. That's how he does it all the way through his entire ministry. 
So he comes to the synagogue and they sit him down. Now the synagogue is going to have a reading from the law and the prophets. Now this is interesting, guys, because they, they're reading from different places depending on the date. They, it was like a liturgical uh, service. They would read a specific part based on the date. So they read something from the Old Testament, from the five books of Moses, and they read something from, from the prophets. And then they would look to an esteemed member of the congregation to give an exhortation tying the two together. Well, the guy that they give the exhortation to tie the two together is Paul. They look to him and they say, Hey, do you guys have something to say? Some word of exhortation to share? So the tradition would be to tie those things together. Now, what do we know about the Old Testament? Jesus said, You search the Scriptures daily, for in them you think you find life, but it is these that speak of me. So Paul stands up and ties those readings together beautifully by the fulfillment of the promise of God in Jesus Christ, their Messiah. So he stands up. And we have laid out before us the first message that he's going to preach. And as we work our way through this message that he preaches, I want you to just pay careful attention to all the verbs he uses about how God cares for his people. It's incredible to see them all. As we work our way through, let's take a look. Paul stood up in verse 16. And he motioned with his hand, Men of Israel and you who fear God, you who fear God, that's the God-fearers. Those are Gentile proselytes who are also there, hearing the word. He says, The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. First verb, chose. He begins speaking of God's sovereignty. That God is in control. That everyone that comes to Him, comes to Him by God's choice. That God chooses you. Throughout Scripture, this is always spoken of those who are coming to faith, that they are the chosen. It is never spoken of those who are lost. The election, the elect of God, always spoken to those who are being saved. So this is the chosen. He says, we are chosen. The word he uses is eklogomai. It's in the aorist middle uh, grammar. And so when we put it together, it means to choose something for yourself. God chose Israel for himself, his own special people. He begins talking about God's sovereignty. And in that sovereignty, he talks about the choice of God. Next, he exalted them while they were in Egypt. While they were slaves, that word exalted means that he made them prosper, even though they're in slavery. God's sovereignty seen in his choice in his exaltation or his prospering of the people, and then finally, in the fact that he brought them out with an uplifted arm. By the power of God, he delivered them. All that shows the sovereignty of God. The power of God. The fact that God is in control. You ever question that? Look at your life and think, is God really in control? Does God really know the things that are going on? The struggles that I'm facing? The battles that I go through? Do you struggle with the idea that I matter to God? Because the beginning of Paul's address, that's what he's telling them. You matter to God. Is that still true today? Do we matter to God? Do we believe 
that we matter to God. That's where Paul begins as he speaks of God's sovereignty. Then he moves from God's sovereignty to God's patience. Look, it says in verse 18, Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. He put up with them. You do a careful study of that word in the Greek, really literally what it means is to put up with someone with bad manners. In fact, the same word is used of a nurse who has an infant child at her bosom that they put up with their bad manners. You never probably didn't notice that babies have those, huh? Nope, my babies are perfect. They never scream or holler. And our babies never bit Kathy while they were nursing. Not one time. You know, the reality is, that's the exact word that God chooses in, in the word of God to say, God put up with the children of Israel. The same word used of a, of a nursing mother with her child. See, Israel was God's firstborn, he calls them. You're my firstborn. Israel, you're my child. I'm raising you, I'm grooming you, I love you. I'm taking care of you. He was patient with them. The patience of God as he watched over them. We see him not only when he put up with them, but then we see in the next verse it says that he destroyed seven nations of the land of Canaan. You know how many nations were in Canaan? 31. Did God defeat every enemy they were ever going to face? No. He defeated seven nations and turned them loose in a land and gave them a land and then said, you still have battles to fight. Because if God fought every battle for you, you would be very weak. You understand the story, or maybe you've heard the story of a butterfly. If a butterfly is coming through the cocoon and you see it, and you open up the cocoon for it so the butterfly don't have to fight so hard, it kills it. It dies. Because there was no battle. So God allows battles in our life because those battles will define our character. Those battles will develop who we are going to be. Those battles will will make us into the image of Christ. So He still leaves those. But He distributed the land to the children of Israel. He brought them in and distributed it to them. He gave it all to them. We see God's patience as He works with them. They weren't all happy about what they got. Are Are you always happy with what you get, with your portion from God? Or do you ever look at your neighbor and think, why did Judah get so much? And, gosh, we over here, we just got a little bit. Or maybe you're Dan and you you look at your portion and you say, it's just desert. Forget this, we're moving. But God was patient. Even in his giving of the land, even as he distributed them. We see his patience as the scripture continues. It says he gave them judges. He gave them. He gave them men to deliver them because it's as they were supposed to continue in battle, they didn't. They decided to make peace with all these countries, which would lead them into a time of prosperity. Prosperity would lead them to a time where they forget about God. When they forget about God, they fall into sin. When they fall into sin, they'd go into bondage. When they went into bondage, they'd throw up their arms and they'd say, God, save us. And God would give them a judge. That's who Samson was. That's who Jephthah was. That's who Gideon was. He gave him a hero. That's what the word judge means, really translated a hero. He gave him a hero to deliver them. And he would deliver them and the whole cycle would start over again for 450 years. God's patient. Is God patient with you? 
He is patient. He's long-suffering. It says, it, it continues, then God gave them Saul. It said they wanted a king. They didn't like Samuel the prophet. Afterward, they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul. So they entered into the king period of time. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, this verse to me is so sad in the scripture. It says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. They didn't want God as their king. They wanted Saul. What did Saul do? He fell, messed up, screwed up, ended up being rejected by God. What's the next verse say? Speaking of the patience of God. It says that God raised up David. The word raised up is the exact same word for to resurrect. To bring to life. God raised up David. And who was David? A man after God's own heart. You catch that last part? Who will do all my will. Are you a man or woman like David? Who loves God so much that last phrase could be said of you. I will do all his will. I will go where he sends me. I will be who he's called me to be. I'll get involved in what he wants me to get involved in. Because I don't, I don't believe that people don't know. I believe we put it in a box and bury it real deep inside of us and say, I'm not going to open that box. Because I'm afraid. It's okay to be afraid. Everybody who's going is afraid. Andy's afraid to go to Scotland, but he's going to go. David and Anne are afraid to go to Romania, but they're going to go. I'm sure Marilee was afraid the first time they went to Malawi, but she went. The fact that a man or woman after God's own heart will do all God's will. Where God sends, they'll go. And that's the kind of people that we want to be. God raised him up. Again, it shows his patience. Through Saul to David. David, we see in the, the promise in David. Look what it says. Afterward, uh, he removed him. He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. This man, by his seed, that promise went through Abraham. That the seed of Abraham was a promise of the Messiah. God told David when David wanted to build the temple, God said, you cannot build me a house. I'm going to build you one. And your house will never end. He said, the line of David will never end. At 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and nobody knows where the line of David is. Nobody knows what tribe they're from. Do you get that? 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, all records were lost. The diaspora took place, the dispersion, and Jews went all over the place. After 70 AD, there cannot be a Messiah who can trace his lineage to David. So if the word of God is true... That Messiah has to be before 70 A.D. Well, he was. His name is Jesus Christ. He was the promised seed. Jesus died. Will he, will he ever cease to exist? Will he ever die again? Will he ever be gone? Will there ever cease to be a part of the line of David? 
Never. The fulfillment of the promise and the Savior of us all is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah to come, take away the sin of the world. See, our number one problem with God is forgiveness. No man or woman can stand before God and be justified apart from Jesus Christ. Nobody. None. There is no way. He is the promise. He is the promise. So we move from God's patience to the revealing of God's promise. The promise of His Son. Jesus Christ, the promised seed of Abraham. The promised seed of David. The fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 3.15. The Proto-Evangelicum, the first mention of the Gospel. All fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Then he goes from this promise and he also points to John the Baptist. Didn't the Bible say that a prophet would mark the coming of the Messiah? In fact, the scripture said that Elijah would come. Jesus said, if you can handle it, John the Baptist came in the manner of Elijah. But true Elijah will come before the second coming of Christ. As we look, we we hear what John the Baptist said. You remember? He pointed to Jesus and said, The Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. A who? Didn't say who takes away the sin of the elect. What did it say? He took away the sin of the world. He bore it all. So that anyone, everyone, can be justified. The promise seen through John the Baptist. John the Baptist says... As John was finishing in verse 25, his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not he, but behold, there comes one after me. There's a coming one. Malachi 3.1 tells us, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. On a prescribed day, Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem. On the exact day that Daniel foretold in Daniel chapter 9, he came into the temple and cleansed the temple and fulfilled Malachi 3.1. And the one who came before him, who prepared the way, was John the Baptist. You see, Paul is laying out the promise of the seed, the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. And immediately, once he's introduced Jesus Christ, in verse 26, he says, men and brethren again, he's going to move to the gospel. He's going to tell them the good news. What is the good news? The good news is you can have forgiveness of sins. That you can be forgiven. Look what it says. Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you this word of salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. Now think, they were just sitting in there and they read the voice of the prophets. When you read Isaiah 53 to a Jew, the Jew will tell you that the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is the nation of Israel. They don't see the suffering servant as Messiah. They read it all the time. It's an exact 
replication of everything Jesus went through in Isaiah 53. It's probably the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament as God revealed to the prophet Isaiah exactly the things that Messiah would suffer. But their eyes are blinded to it. And they don't see. They can't see. They studied the scriptures every day. And they missed it. John chapter 1 says, He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. Nobody recognized him. It says he came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. To enter into salvation. To have all that God had planned for them. They see it. John 5, it's a familiar scripture. Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But it is these that testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus said, you read the Bible every day, and the Bible is talking about me, but you just don't get it. You can't move the 18 inches from your head to your heart. That was the struggle that they had. They fulfilled prophecy by doing the things they did, by putting Jesus on the cross. By when the time was fulfilled, it says, now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So you have the rejection of Christ, the death and burial of Christ. In the very next verse, you have what? The resurrection of Christ, right? But God raised him from the dead. I love when we look through the scripture, especially at the resurrection, because you get to see the Trinity. You get to see the, the three in one working together. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, it just said God did, didn't it? God, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raises Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Romans 8 says it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. John chapter 10, Jesus said, No man takes my life, I lay it down. And if I lay my life down, I have the power to what? Take it up again. Jesus said he would raise himself from the dead. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All involved in the resurrection. All God. Raising Jesus from the dead. All a part of the process. The resurrection. Paul said, without the resurrection we have nothing. We have nothing. If Jesus just died like everybody else and stayed in the ground, then our, our, our religion is useless. But if he rose, then he was who he said he was. And that makes all the difference in the world. Look what Paul goes on as he speaks of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. As he speaks of, of these things, of the resurrection, he goes on. It says, he was seen for many days. In verse 31, by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. He says, we declare to you the gospel. The good news. What's the good news? You can be forgiven of your sins. You can have a right standing before God. Now. No matter what you've done. 
you can have a right standing with God. Listen to what he said. God has fulfilled this for us, their children. And then he raised up Jesus. As it was written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. When did God say that to Jesus? At his resurrection. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Being there, raising him from the dead. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this. I will give you the sure mercies of David. You are the fulfillment of the promise of the son of David. My Lord said to the Lord, Come, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The sure mercies of David, the promise of David, of the Messiah, the King, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now he says, we know he's not talking about David, because David is dead, and he rotted in the grave, and his bones are still there. In fact, if you go to Israel, you can visit his tomb. He's still there. He's not talking about David. You will not allow your Holy One. Holy One is a, is a synonym for the Mashiach Nagid, for the Messiah. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. You know when the Jews said that the body corrupted when it was buried? On day four. Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? They said, Lord, Lord, he's been in the grave how many days? Four days. And he stinks. Yeah, he's rotten. And Jesus raised him. But if he's not going to see corruption, then he has to rise before the fourth day. Right? Like the third day? The sign of Jonah, as Jonah was, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. The fulfillment of the promise of the, of the prophecies that were laid out cannot be pointing to David, but they point to Jesus. And this is what he's saying. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. The only way we can be right with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. His Word lays out for us the concept. Look at that very next verse. And by Him, Jesus... What's that next word? Everyone? Does yours say everyone? It should say everyone. Or all is okay too. By him, everyone who does what? Who believes. Now this is not too complicated, right? By him, Jesus Christ, everyone, that means everyone. Careful study in the Greek means everyone. It's not hard to understand. Who believes is justified from, what's the next word? All things. You remember your Greek, all means, and that's, that all means, right? All means all, and that's all that all means. So you can be justified by all things through belief in Jesus Christ. You can be made just as if you never done it. That's what the word justified means. To have a legal, proper, right standing before a holy and just God. The only way to have that is through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. How do I have a relationship with Him? I believe in Him. I put my trust in Him. The word believe means to place my weight into. I become in Christ Jesus. And when I'm in Christ, I don't look like me no more. I look like Jesus. I take on His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin 
became sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God. That we would have a right standing, justify. This is what Paul is preaching. The gospel. This is the whole point. This is it. The number one issue for mankind on the face of the earth is forgiveness of his sins. How will your sins be forgiven? I'll just live a good life. The Bible says, there is none good, no, not one. That may be a problem for you. Living a good enough life. Keeping enough of the law. We'll see in a moment, the scripture tells the law can't save you. It can only condemn you. Well, let's make it easy for us. Is there anybody in here who has never told a lie? Because you're about to if you raise your hand. So, how many times do you have to lie before you become a liar? One time, right? I lie once and I am a liar. The Bible says, thou shalt not lie. Jesus said, if you are guilty in one aspect, you have broken them all. And you are guilty before God, who is holy and just and who cannot overlook sin. So his son came and took your sin upon his sinless body and paid the price. He died so you don't have to. And when he died so you don't have to and rose again, it means he was exactly who he said he was. Because only God could do that, right? I can't do it. Houdini couldn't do it. Nobody else is going to do it. Jesus did it. That's it. By faith in him, you have forgiveness of your sins. You are made just with God. Right standing with him. The scripture goes on to say... you're justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law will never justify. You get it? You'll never be good enough. You will not measure up according to the law. The law will show you your failure. The law will show you your sin. The law is a mirror to teach you, a tutor to tell you, you need Christ. All I do is put my faith in Him, and the deal's done. Deal is finished. But as Paul brings this message to them, he also gives them a warning. Listen, if you don't receive this free gift that Jesus Christ is offering, there is no place else to be saved. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Period. No man comes to me or comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. One way. Through faith in his sacrifice that makes me clean. That does away with my sin. I can't do away with it on my own. I need him. I need a savior. He says if you reject it, you're lost. He, he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. Behold, you despisers marvel and perish. For I work a work in your day, a work that you will by no means believe. Though one would even declare it to you. Isn't that what was going on? They said, we can't believe this. You're Joseph's kid. You're not the Messiah. We watched you grow up. They rejected him. What happened in this meeting? In this meeting, look what it says. The Jews went out of the synagogue. Who begged him? The Gentiles begged him, come back and tell us more. The Gentiles are hearing for the first time that they have an opportunity to be saved. And then the scripture tells in the very next verse, many Jews and devout proselytes followed them. He came alongside and Paul and Barnabas discipled them. We don't know for how long. Certainly at least a week, right? Because they came back and started preaching the next week. 
And the whole city, that means a lot of people. That's a hyperbole, by the way. Doesn't mean the whole city crawled into the synagogue. But a lot of people came. And the Jews got jealous and they started bickering with him while Paul was trying to teach. And look what it says in verse 46. It says, then Paul and Barnabas, they were both talking. They were both saying, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Notice in that verse, it didn't say anywhere that they were elect lost. That they were predestined to be lost. What did it say? You have made a choice. Because you have rejected your choice. Because you have decided you're not worthy. Your choice. Then you're condemned already. And they take the message to the Gentiles. And he quotes out of Isaiah. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for the salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were stoked. They're glad. They rejoice. They glorify the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Isn't that interesting? What do you see there? Predestination. Election. The sovereignty of God. But what's it dealing with? Salvation. See, God knows who are His, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? My Father knows His sheep. And His sheep hear His voice. And they come to Him. Chosen of God. If you never come to God, it's real simple. You weren't chose. Because you chose to reject it. But if you choose God, then you are chosen. Ooh, it just messes with your noodle, don't it? (laughs) But it's good, glorious news. It says the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So the Jews stir up. This is going to be the... what do you call it? The modus operandi. This is the way everything happens for Paul and Barnabas on the, on the missionary journey. A revival breaks out. People get saved. The people raise up against them, throw them out of the town. When they get thrown out of the town, they shake the dust off and go to the next town. How do you stop a man like that? How do you stop a man like Saeed Abedini, who doesn't care that you beat him every day? He's still going to tell the next prisoner that you put in front of him that Jesus loves him. How do you stop that man? The only way to stop him is to put a bullet in him. And you can only do that if God says it's okay. Because he belongs to the Lord. Right? If God says you're out of here, God can pick up Saeed and put him in the middle of Boise right now. God can do that. God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask, ask or imagine according to what? The power that works In us, the power of the Holy Spirit within the body of believers. As the body of believers moves, God works. That's where His miracles take place today. In us, as we hear the call and as we move forward, and as we don't let the the oppression, the problems, the struggle, the fear, stop us from being everything that God wants us to be. It says, They shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were what? Filled with distress, worry, concern. Nope, it says they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. That word, were filled, means it was something that happened before that was happening again. See, we constantly need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We constantly need to receive that baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what word you use there, people trip out on it. I showed when we studied through the book of Acts that they're synonymous. Baptized, feeling, they're used interchangeably all throughout the book of Acts. The point is, they had the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit gave them joy. Scripture tells us of them having incredible joy in in these circumstances. But I read Saeed's letter. When he came out of solitary confinement, the other guys in the prison said he was glowing. Before he went in, he was so afraid because he said the worst time he had spent in Evan prison so far was in solitary confinement. This time when he came out, he said he had the closest uh, uh, communion with God that he had ever experienced during his time in solitary confinement. He was almost sad to come out. The other prisoners said he was glowing. As he began to share with them what God had showed him in solitary confinement. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will have joy. I don't care where you are. You will be able to do what God's calling you to do. As we look at this chapter, we see God organizing that first missionary journey. Two guys. It started three and one of them quit. But nothing was going to stop them from going and being what God called them to be. From hearing the call of God and fulfilling the call of God. Nothing was going to stop them because their faith was real. Amen? Amen. Is your faith real this morning? I hope it is. I hope it is because if you don't know this Jesus, if your faith and trust is not in Him, there's no other salvation under any other name but the name of Jesus. This Jesus. The one who died for our sins and rose again. Who paved the way for the forgiveness of of all our sins. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. As we pray, I'm, I'm going uh, to share in a song. After we pray, we'll, we'll kind of close out with worship. But as we do so, if we have uh, any elders or guys uh, that are on their prayer team to come forward, as we sing this last song, I just encourage you, if the Lord speaks to you that you don't have a right relationship with God, come up and get one. It's not that hard to receive. If the Lord lays on your heart that I've been calling you and you've been turning a deaf ear to me, then come up and repent and tell the Lord you'll be who He wants you to be. Make those changes in your life now. Tomorrow never comes. Amen? Amen. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank You for this time as we come before you as we honor your name we honor who you are we just praise you god that you are the one who has paid the price for all of our sins you have done it all lord god i just pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you they wouldn't walk out the doors without making sure that relationship is square that they have placed their faith and trust in you. So God, we just ask that your spirit would move in this time as we give you praise.